Welcome to the Mind Virus Podcast. I'm Jordan Bruno. Today is September 18th, 2023, and I am broadcasting from the other side of the Atlantic. Well, since we're in the homeland of Monty Python, get ready for something completely different. Since Bobby and I are both traveling, we've gone ahead and recorded separately. The first segment that you're going to hear is a short story that was written by and read by our good friend Bobby Flood. Then after that, I'll play a series of audio clips that I've recorded while taking an esoteric journey along ancient routes that were among the last traveled by the Knights Templar. I hope that you enjoy today's episode. If you like it, please leave us comments. I may make some further recordings and commentary on my trip. Bobby may want to weigh in on that. I don't know. But if you like it, perhaps we'll put those into next week's episode. Without any further ado, here's the story by Bobby Flood. All right, here's something a little bit different. We've talked about short stories before. This is one I wrote some time ago, and I'm going to read it now. <clears throat> and so hopefully Jordan can get this uh, edited in to the podcast. We're each recording things on our own separately because we are both traveling. <coughs> <clears throat> this is called Henry, Son of John. Are you ready, Hank? Father asked. Yes, sir, I am, Henry replied. Let's get to it then, Father said. Gray dawn pushed the dark of night aside. A chilled breeze came with the rising sun. Henry loved first light. It'd be blazing hot in a few hours, but at first light, even August mornings were cold as winter. We'll find them horses, Father, Henry said, and we'll bring them home. Henry and Father left the house behind and set riding into the high country. Yesterday, when they'd come home to find the horses missing, Father had followed the tracks for a mile in the direction they'd gone before darkness turned him back to the house. I suppose them horses are up on the skyline, Hank, he said over supper that night. You and me need to go round them up. Be ready at first light. Yes, sir, Henry said. A grin split his face. His eyes twinkled like summer stars during a new moon. At eleven years old, Henry was conscripted to the daily chores on the ranch, cleaning the stable, fetching water, chopping firewood, mending fences. It was hard, worthy work, but Henry pined for adventure. He wanted to hunt elk and deer, ride his horse on cattle drives, and accompany father on his visits to the Ute villages. He didn't want to be a boy anymore. Bring your good rope and your rifle, father said. Yes, sir, I will, Henry replied. You'd better bring your slicker and your bedroll too, but I don't suspect we'll be needing them, father continued. Yes, sir. Get some sleep, son. Yes, sir. Father had wanted to hire a man for the ranch. A good hand will cost $3 a week, father had said. I can't afford $3 a month. I can do the work, father, Henry had said. And you don't got to pay me but a dollar a week. Father shook with laughter. Hank, he's worth far more than that. 
Henry's chest had swelled. I reckon you're right, though. It's time to put you to work. That was when Henry was nine, and true to his word, father had put him to work. The horses were supposed to fix father's financial problems. Father had traded the youth several sacks of flour for the horses. He'd traded a saddle for the flour, and he'd made the saddle himself. The horses weren't fit for riding when father traded for them. The youths thought they'd made a good trade. Father had spent weeks breaking the ute ponies. They'd be worth a lot more than what he paid for them now, enough to pay a ranch hand for a season, enough to make four, maybe five saddles. Henry hoped there'd be enough left over for a couple head of beef stock, too. Father thought he'd made a good trade. The house was miles behind them now. They'd risen from the valley floor and into the foothills of the high plateau country. Aspens and spruce trees dotted the rolling sage hills. Henry trailed behind Father, his chin bobbed against his chest, his stomach growled like an angry dog. His shoulders slumped underneath the noonday sun. Henry squinted to keep the burn from his eyes. He pulled his hat low. He wanted to ask Father when they'd stop for lunch, but he didn't. He was a grown man now. He eyeballed the shade underneath the nearby trees and hoped that Father'd notice it too. He sipped from his canteen. The water was warm and musty. He nearly gagged. Father, if he did notice the shade, paid it no mind. They kept riding, following the tracks of the runaways in the dusty dirt for another hour. I reckon we're getting closer, Hank. These tracks are getting fresher, Father said. I reckon you're right. Father took his hat off and glanced heavenward. He ran his gloved hand through his curly hair. Father's brown eyes sparkled in the light. He scratched at his beard and wiped the sweat from his brow with a red bandana. Henry wasn't sure how old Father was. He figured maybe he was pretty old, but not really old. Maybe 35, probably not 45. Henry was six when Mother died, and she was 32 when she took sick. She might have been 33 when she finally died. That's what Father said, anyway. Let's find us some shade and give these horses a rest. Yes, sir. Henry unsaddled his horse and tethered him to a tree. He ran his hand down the horse's back. Good boy, Henry said. He dug into his saddlebags and retrieved the lunch that he'd been thinking about for hours. Henry settled in on the soft forest floor, his back against a wide aspen tree. The cool air under the canopy of trees was like diving into a frigid pool. I don't expect no trouble from the horses, Hank, when we find them, Father said. They know who's boss. Father was tucking into his lunch, too. They'd brought strips of dried beef and biscuits that Hank had helped Father make a few days ago. Father leaned easily against a fat aspen trunk. Nearby, his horses tugged at the strands of tall grass. Why'd they up and run off, you think? Henry asked. I don't know, son. Maybe something spooked them. Could have been a cougar or a coyote. Maybe they's remembered that they's once wild ute ponies. Or maybe they's just decided they needed to stretch their legs some. Father grinned. When we catch him, we'll just have to ask him why they'd done it. Henry's laughter bounced off the aspen trees. Father didn't joke often. He wasn't a serious or somber man, but he was no clown either. His family depended on him. He had to be smart. He was well respected in the territory for being a savvy but fair trader. Father's saddles were highly coveted, and he made sure that every one of them fetched its rightful price. He only wished he could afford to make more of them. Clouds overhead wandered lazily across the blue summer sky. 
Leaves on the trees twittered like small birds in the light breeze. Insects trilled. One of the horses nickered. Henry heard the thumping of approaching hooves. He rubbed sleep out of his eyes. Father was already on his feet, his Spencer carbine in hand. Henry stood and retrieved his own rifle. Stay put, Hank, Father said. A man on a horse appeared from the trees. Father's shoulders slumped in relief. He lowered the Spencer. You gave me a start there, Mr. Simpson, Father said. Henry recognized the man. Did I, John, Simpson said. Simpson's voice was cold. A shiver ran up Henry's spine. Trailing behind Simpson were Father's horses. I see you found what we come looking for, Mr. Simpson. I'm obliged to you for rounding them up. Hank and I can manage them from here. Hank, go get them halters and ropes ready. Henry made for the saddlebags. You stay right where you are, son, Simpson said. Begging your pardon, Mr. Simpson, Father asked. Simpson pointed his rifle at Father. Drop that Spencer, John. Father did. And you too, son, Simpson pointed his rifle at Henry. Henry leaned his gun against an aspen tree. Come on over here and stand next to your father, Simpson said. What's this all about, Father asked. There was worry in his voice. Henry's heart thumped loudly in his chest. I traded you flour for a saddle, John, Simpson said. Yes, sir, you did. You're riding that saddle right now, Father replied. And what did you do with the flour? I traded it for them horses there, Father said, gesturing to the animals. Who'd you trade with? The Utes, Father said, same as I've been trading with for years. You traded my flower to a band of savage invaders, John, Simpson said. He dismounted the horse. Father craned his neck and looked Mr. Simpson in the eyes. Simpson aimed the barrel of his rifle at Father's face. There's no savages, Mr. Simpson. Did you forget the men, women, and children killed in San Pete, John? Simpson asked. You and me weren't at Sam Pete, Mr. Simpson, and neither was the Utes I trade with, Father replied. And what about Salt Creek, Simpson continued. Did you forget the massacre there, too? I got no quarrel with the Utes, Simpson, and they've none with me. You're feeding Black Hawk's men with my flour. Simpson was angry now. His eyes flickered like the flames of a fire. It wasn't your flour no more, Father said. We're in a war, John, Simpson said. So I keep hearing. Father put a hand on Henry's shoulder and gave it a firm squeeze. Hank, saddle your horse and make for home, Father said. His eyes were bright and confident. He bent down and faced Henry, his hands on both shoulders. Henry's throat tightened. His stomach lurched. He thought he might be sick. I won't be far behind, son, Father said. Don't move, Henry, Simpson said. He's got nothing to do with any of this, Simpson, Father said, and neither do I. You go fight your little war. Simpson glared at Father. Now I'd appreciate you handing my horses over to me and you letting us be on our way, Father said. I'm afraid I can't do that, Simpson said. And why not, Father asked. As I said, John, we're in a war, and I can't quite figure out which side you're on, Simpson said. Father took a step toward Mr. Simpson. The gunshot sent birds fleeing from the trees. The horses stamped and stumbled. Henry might have screamed. He might not have. Father lay on his back, sprawled across the forest floor. Blood ran from his chest and turned his shirt crimson. Henry ran to Father, but Simpson thumped the butt of his rifle into Henry's face before he could reach him. Henry hit the ground with a thud. Blood ran from his nose and mouth. His head rang like a church bell on Easter morning. Henry stared up at Simpson. 
The man's eyes were ice and fire all at once. It was you, wasn't it? You stole the horses, Henry said. His head spun. He spit a tooth from his bleeding mouth. What are you going to do about it? Simpson asked. Henry rose to his knees. He looked into the barrel of the gun pointed at his head. Sticky, wet blood soaked his shirt and covered his hands. Tears salted his eyes. Father's body lay limp next to him. Henry spit blood and bile on Simpson's boots. He rose to his feet. So be it, Simpson said. He pulled the trigger. The bullet passed through Henry like a hand waving through wood smoke. Simpson's face screwed up in confusion. He fired again and again. The bullets passed through Henry's body like wind through trees. Henry looked at his chest. Where there ought to have been blood and gore, there was just Henry, just his shirt and vest. Simpson roared with anger. He fired again and again. He fired until the gun was empty. He raised the rifle over his head and lunged at Henry. A geyser of confused rage erupted from Simpson's eyes. Henry had his rifle in his hands. He might have heard the report. He might not have. Simpson was sprawled on the ground. He wheezed hoarsely. Blood bubbled from the hole in his neck. Some of the fire had gone out of those icy eyes. Simpson held a trembling hand over the wound. Blood seeped through his fingers and wetted the ground around him. Henry stood over him. We're in a war, Simpson whispered. Where? I know that, Mr. Simpson, and I know just which side you's on. Henry pulled the trigger one more time. Hank, are you all right? Henry wheeled. Father was up on one knee. The bleeding hole in his chest knitted right then and there. Henry's breath came in short, raspy gasps. Instinctively, he realized he had had his own carbine pointed at Father. It's okay, Hank. Father stood. His shirt was mostly blood, but he was whole. He smiled his warm smile. His brown eyes were full of life. It's okay, Hank, he said again. Hank dropped the gun. He slumped to his knees. I killed him, sobs boiled out of Henry. He killed you. He killed me. Father sat next to Henry. His strong arms wrapped around his shaking shoulders. That he did, Father said. You did the right thing, Hank. Henry looked up at Father, his face twisted with questions. Father stood. He gathered rope and halters from the saddlebags. We still got a job to do, and we still need to get home for dark. Henry remembered the horses for the first time since Simpson's arrival. The Ute pony stood still a stone in the trees. Mr. Simpson's horse tugged at green grass. Henry's eyes focused on Simpson's body. A crashing wave of guilt and anger washed over him. He put his head in his hands. Grief shook him. Hank, you did the right thing, Father said again. Mr. Simpson stole from us. He murdered me in cold blood. He shot you too. Henry wiped tears from his face. Father gathered and strung the ponies. He gestured to Henry's horse. Get saddled, Hank. We need to leave this place. Henry nodded. He threw the saddle onto the back of his horse and tightened the straps. He'd only recently got tall enough to saddle his horse without help. Doing it now made him feel taller somehow. Father was right. They had a job to do. But his hands shook while he pulled tight the straps all the same. He slid his rifle into the scabbard, then climbed into the saddle. His horse shifted its weight from one leg to the other when Henry settled in. Father led the train of recovered ponies from the trees back the way they had come. Henry brought up the rear. They left Simpson. They left his horse, his gun, his saddle. 
Henry and father rode in silence. The sun was heavy in the west. Streaks of color smeared the clouds and bounced off red rocks and juniper trees. Come on up here, Hank, father said. Ride next to me. Father reached into his vest and pulled out a small leather-bound book. He leafed it open and handed it across to Henry. Verse 1. Read it out loud, son. Henry read from the Gospel of Mark. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. Henry stared at Father. I don't understand, Henry finally said. I was there, Hank. I was there when Jesus said those words. Henry read the verse over again and again after that. Father sat quietly, letting Henry reason it out on his own. The pair of riders had come out of the steep mountains. They led the ponies across rolling sage-covered hills. Henry handed the pocket copy of the New Testament back to Father. It's wrong, though, Father, Henry finally said. What do you mean? Father asked. Well, back there, Mr. Simpson gave you a pretty good taste of death, didn't he? Father laughed. Tension ran from Henry like river tumbling down a rocky canyon. He took a breath. I guess he did, in a way, Father said. Henry had always known that Father's name was John. It was always what the other men had called him. Except at church, when they went, the others called him Brother John. Henry had never thought anything about it at all. Father was John, just like he was Henry. But just then, it all added up. Henry's eyes went wide. You're John, Henry said. You're that John. Father nodded. You can't die? Seems that way, Father said. But I wasn't there, Father, Henry said. I wasn't even born yet when Jesus was alive. You sure wasn't. Simpson's bullets went right through me like I was made of smoke. That they did, Hank. How? I reckon I don't know the answer to that, Hank, except that you's my son. I can't die. Father shrugged. Not today. But I don't think that's a question you ought to set about trying to answer. Henry grinned. I won't, he said. They crossed a small creek that marked the border of Father's land. A dove made soft cooing noises from the top of a nearby blue spruce. Long shadows chased away the sunlight across the valley floor. So you wrote the Bible? Henry asked. Not all of it, Hank, Father replied. Some of it? Just some of it. Did Mother know? Father had a distant look in his eyes. He took a breath. No, he said. Why not, Henry said. I never figured out how to tell her. Were you going to tell me? I planned to. When? When it made sense to tell you. Like it did today. Father smiled. Yes, Hank, like it did today. They crested a rise. There in the distance was the house. The last of the day's light had turned the windows gold. How many others are there? Henry asked. How many other what? Father said. How many other sons do you have, Father? Father's eyes reflected the warm evening light. He slowed his horse and put a hand on Henry's shoulder. Just you, Hank. Just you. Gloam and gloom settled into the mountains. Simpson's body lay in a pool of his own blood. His corpse had stiffened in the cool air. The horse he had ridden, and who still wore Father's saddle, pawed nervously at the dirt. A Ute brave materialized. He stripped Simpson's clothes from the body and silently collected Simpson's horse. He stuffed Simpson's clothes into Simpson's own saddlebags. He knelt next to the dead man and took the scalp in a quiet, clean cut. 
The Ute tucked the hair and skin into his belt, shouldered the rifle, and mounted the horse. He faded into the trees and the night. Thanks, Bobby, for that thought-provoking story. Well, now for something completely different. I'm on an airplane right now, headed east. This podcast is going to be a hodgepodge of probably random clips. I don't know what you're going to get. should be an adventure. Anyway, I was just informed by the pilot that we're going to experience some rough air. Rough air is the term that they have invented to replace turbulence. That means it might get scary for a minute. They took away the drink carts. The flight attendants all sat down. This might be my one and only clip for this podcast. If we don't make it, and you find this recording later, please post it to mindvirus.show for me and inform Bobby Flood. I had a lot of fun while it lasted. Don't worry, this airplane stuff doesn't last very long. Well, it's been several minutes and I'm still here. But they haven't brought the drink carts out yet, so... I don't know if we're out of the woods. I don't have my uh, television turned on. Everybody's got a television. I don't know if you guys have ever flown before. But if you fly these days, you get a TV right in front of you. And um, conveniently, the person in front of me lowered their seat. Well, I don't know if they lowered it, they reclined it kind of. Anyway, that pushed the TV up closer to my face. So I didn't have to pull it that way by myself. So thanks, guy in front of me. I still haven't brought the cart back out, though. I really don't know what's going to happen to us. But I can simultaneously watch probably one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven or eight different shows at the same time. So I'm going to get a lot done on this flight. All right, check in later. Okay, we're still alive. They brought out the drinks. And you had a choice of like cookies or almonds and stuff like that. Anyway, the guy next to me is watching a TV show. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but he's watching one episode on the screen in the seat back in front of him. He's got his iPad out and he's watching another episode simultaneously. I'm not sure how that works. Anyway, crammed in here in the middle of two people. Oh, an announcement is in progress. I'll be back. Okay, we made it. We made it to the next airport. Now we're sitting around waiting to board the next flight. Um, so I watched Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania, 
on the flight. Oh, hey, they're breaking into it. We got to get our boarding pass and passport ready. Jeez, so much going on here. So many instructions to follow. Anyway, I watched Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania on the flight just for kicks, fully expecting a cosmological exposition, which of course they did. And uh, in this movie they have, um, they have it set up this way. So you got Scott Lang who's Ant-Man. Okay, shut up guys. I'm trying to give a podcast here. I don't know what their problem is. Can't they see me over here in the corner talking to you guys? So you got Scott Lang, who's Ant-Man. You got uh, Hope, Pym, I think, who is the Wasp. And then you got Michelle Pfeiffer, Michelle Pfeiffer and uh, Michael Douglas, who are Hank Pym and his wife, uh, Janet Van Dyne. She never took his name, of course. <laughs> and their uh, former Ant-Man and the Wasp. And so um, what happens is there was Scott Lang's daughter who's figured out how to send a signal and, and map, like look into the quantum realm from the earth dimension, the earth realm. And um, the way they map this out is the earth is above the quantum realm, the quantum realm is below. This is a little different than Endgame. This is a slightly different cosmology. In Endgame they use uh, the quantum realm as a metaphor for uh, traveling through the cosmos, eternal progression, right? And in uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, the quantum mania, or sorry, the quantum world, there's a lot going on here. This is New York, man. I just gave away my position. Um, So in uh, the, the quantum realm is essentially the fallen world because they keep talking about going down and there's this conqueror that's going to burn it. And um, of course, there's a rebellion going on against this conqueror guy. Oh, jeez. Okay, you're interrupting my podcast. So this uh, conqueror is going to take over the quantum realm and then get back into the higher realms of the cosmos and the earth of course is above that's where he wants to go and he's created and destroyed many worlds mostly destroyed you don't really talk about him creating but you find out later on he's kind of a creator anyway it's sort of weird though because they describe the quantum realm as outside of time that would be contradictory to our idea that it's the fallen world because the fallen world is caught in time. Well, anyway, maybe I'll come back to this later, but just want you to know that they get into a huge cosmological exposition and uh, there's a war between the conqueror and the people rebelling against him. And um, yeah, if you feel like it, have a walk have a look at it and post your comments in the 
comment section at mindvirus.show and let us know what you're thinking about it. So last time I checked in, we were at an airport, I think. I'm on a bus now. When you travel, you have to take planes, trains, and automobiles. Or buses, I guess. Well, here I am in Scotland. And uh, I think the last time I w made a report f from the airport, it was uh, in New York. So I am disclosing to the world here, Jordan Bruno is in Scotland. What a cool place, although it's raining a lot. We're visiting some really interesting places. Um, we saw Edinburgh Castle, which is really cool. And the learned a lot about the history of the Scots as we've been up and down what they call the Royal Mile and Holyrood uh, Palace, which is on the other end of that stretch between um, no, it's not between. It's the the what the Royal Mile is between Holyrood Castle and or Holyrood Palace and Edinburgh Castle, which is up on the hill. And uh, of course, uh, here in Scotland, there's a lot of national uh, old nationalism about the the nation of Scotland, which is now part of the United Kingdom. And so you see a lot of uh, material and, and history about uh, Robert the Bruce and William Wallace, uh, which if you've seen the movie Braveheart, you know a little bit about that. It's dramatized, of course. But uh, really cool stuff. Um, it's interesting because the... Uh, you can see this ancient cosmology that I love to talk about show up in the symbols and in the in the stories and the history of the Scots. Uh, the legends, of course, are that the the Druids and the Celts were um, carrying elements of the ancient religion when when other parts of the world were in apostasy. Um, then in the the Middle Ages, you had the Knights Templar that uh, are definitely the stuff of legend. They kept their traditions secret and sacred and built the great Gothic cathedrals. And so you find a lot of cosmist or uh, hermetic theology or symbolism in these great Gothic cathedrals. And of course, that's all up for debate. But, you know, if you go to Chartres, France, you have to ask yourself, why is there a big labyrinth on the floor of the cathedral? What is, what is the deal with that? Roslyn Chapel is interesting because you've got um, just all these ornate carvings. Uh, showing... Uh, the green, what they call the green man, which is a man that has either uh, leaves or vines coming out of him or uh, surrounding him. And 
of course, that's a Jesus motif, but you also have a lot of imagery implying or uh, pointing to the divine feminine also. Uh, well, more on that later, I guess. But the Scots definitely carry through in their history and symbols with, uh, with a lot of... Um, what appears to be devotion to that, whether they were Catholic or Protestant, they of course were known uh, for not giving up the Catholic Church. But Robert the Bruce was excommunicated by the Church for um, killing his main competitor at the altar of a church where they had met. Um, anyway, there. Uh, it's interesting because uh, this carried through for hundreds of years until uh, Mary, Queen of Scots, was executed. But when, when we visited Holyrood Castle, they have in there a, a, some interesting stuff like this uh, locket they call the Darnley Jewel or the Lennox Jewel. And it... I don't know if they call it the Jewel, the Darnley... What is it called? Yeah, it's called the Darnley Jewel. And they, this is really interesting, I'll have to, well, you can go look it up, and because uh, I'm not going to post any links probably on this particular podcast. It's going to be enough to assemble it and send it out over the, uh, over the interwebs from here in the UK. But the, the Darnley Jewel has like, uh, three levels in it. You, it's got the outer level, then you've got a secondary level where you flip up the, the center jewel and you see a skull and crossbones, which is a debatably a, an old Templar um, symbol. And then underneath that, you've got even more cosmic imagery on the inside. So I'll have to I'll have to talk more about the Templars, I guess, here on this trip. But anyway, we're going to visit Roslyn Chapel here. Actually, first we visited the battleground Bannockburn. And this is the official narrative from the official guide, who was very dramatic. As we're going through the exhibition, you are going to see scenes from the battle projected all around you on all four walls. Don't worry, you're not missing anything. As soon as you finish the map room, we'll look back around again. We'll throw you into the middle of the fight. You're not Some of us suspected that he was from around London town, and as you can tell, he kind of has a speech impediment. To get that over, we've got to go down the dark space. So just watch your footing as we're going along. We've got a 100% record of not losing anyone. I'd rather like to keep that this morning. If you'd like to follow me right now, we'll go and get started. If he has a 100% record of not losing anyone, he is doing much better than the Mind Virus show. I think our record for not losing people is about 99.6%. To be perfectly honest, this guy, in his own words, was a little weird, wonderful, deranged. He continues. Now, in 1314, the most northerly isolated English class in Scotland is stirring up there in its volcanic crack. Sterling castles are so important 
because it overlooks Stirling Bridge, the only viable crossing point on the medieval forefield. Now this next dude was just some old Scotsman who decided to give me the real story as I was wandering around in the beautiful, lush, green park that is the former battleground. Going back this way, there's actually a ford that was built by the Romans in about the year 100. And it was then crossed by absolutely everybody, every king and every queen and every invading and, and leaving army that was going uh, thereafter. But this is the this is the Ochil Hills here, which was, forms a barrier. The River Forth was virtually impossible, and then there's a massive seas of bogs, and then another river at the other side. So this was so the key place to cross to get north in Scotland. Was that Bannock? So this was the no Bannockburn's over here. So the English was was down here. The English were coming this way. They were coming from that way. And the battle didn't take place here. It almost certainly took place about a mile a mile and a bit across here. So over this, there. This was fortified on day one. It was quite a prominent hill once. This is this side's all been filled in in, in times gone by, uh, and it was a, a, a fortification to make them take a swerve, which they did onto below where the the sea level was. So ten thousand years ago, you had ice coming down here. Five thousand years ago, the sea was fifty feet higher than it is now, and there is a series of raised beaches all round yeah, about here. Where's the Campsie Fells? Campsie Fells. Campsie Fells. Behind these. Like behind these. Behind these. A fell is a hill. A fell. A fell is a hell. We never call them the campsies. So we're north. This north is this way. This way. Yeah, that's the mountains. Okay, so right at Stirling. But the the mountains then come out of Loch Lomond side and go up here. This isn't Highland Fault. Isn't that the Trussocks? I'm outside Rosslyn Chapel. What an interesting place. Very, very resonant. We're going to have to go soon, but uh, it's beautiful here. I'm not sure what it is. Hey. The whole place is just kind of amazing. Now, of course, there's a ton of visitors because of the Da Vinci Code. It used to be they didn't get very many visitors. Now they get like 10 times as many as they used to get, close to 200,000 a year. The chapel was packed, but it is a really, really cool structure, and it it's hard to tell, but I really do think there's a resonance that you can feel as you move around. So it's probably true that this is a convergence, of, a place of convergence of ley lines, telluric energies, magnetic energies in the earth. It's uh, Scotland is uh, a beautiful place just because it's got a ton of water uh, raining from the sky. It's raining right now. Uh, you get all kinds of uh, rivers and little lakes and stuff and it's just alive and that's the feeling you get inside of Roslyn Chapel. In fact, it, it was kind of like the Nauvoo Temple according to the guide uh, first was used for many years and then it was uh, abandoned and uh, used as a stable and then greenery grew up inside it and so it was basically the walls the whole, the whole place was living with green plants and and water and then 
now they've restored it. So, uh, but a very resonant place. Well, got to get back on the bus. While you're waiting for me to get back on the bus, here's a little clip from the lady who gave us some information about Rosalind Chapel. And in the archway over here, we have the saints and the martyrs. And you can see St. Andrew there with his saltire cross. Now, as I said, the building was also to represent nature. And so we've got hundreds of carvings of flowers, leaves and foliage. And we've got some animals as well. On the side of this pillar here, you'll find an elephant. On the outside of this window, there's a camel. And up the top here, we've got a rather cheeky monkey. I don't know why I cut that off, because yes, she did just say cheeky monkey. We've got a rather cheeky monkey. Do it with an accent. Man on the street interview, uh, impromptu interview from uh, some random person on the bus here. We, we just visited Roslyn Chapel. Your thoughts? Uh, Roslyn Chapel is pretty awesome. I really liked the carvings, specifically the upside down Satan that was bound the clockwise rope okay so is that at the back yeah. of the chapel there what do they call it that looked, the lady it looked like he was next to mary magdalene that was pregnant really it was a it was a lady that had a belly the, okay i remember um, i remember the uh the bound man yeah, that was upside had, down it was upside down and with wings and okay bound so say again. uh the satan was upside down bound he had wings okay so how if that's uh, Satan, how come they had the devil or some horned person uh, uh, on the other side of the chapel? That was uh, ha uh, Hagar. Uh, what's the Egyptian Hagar? Ha Hathor. Hathor. Thank you. Was that it? That was that Hathor. So that's uh, speculation. We're not sure, but so that so if you have Satan on one end being bound, then uh, why do they depict? You know, this this uh, strange-looking man, or, or maybe it's a woman, right? Yeah. With with it looks like kind of like a cow's head, right? Yeah. She's got the horns. Yeah, he's got horns and then ears. Yeah. So that's how Hathor would be depicted in Egypt. So, <laughs> so anyway, I don't know. This is this will be interesting if we can hear this yeah. on the. What else, what else did you find interesting about uh, Rosalind Chapel? I love the beehive concept with the honey that drips down onto the altar. And the guide confirmed that, that there's a bee, they, they built into it this a spot for bees yeah. to nest or hive. Yeah, also they depict husks of corn, which they don't really have corn in Europe. Yeah, yeah that would be like an American thing, right? Yeah, and like the Hopi. And the, right, and the, the legends are that the Templars made it all the way over to the, the New World and that Christopher Columbus was sort of a... An announcement to the world that it was uh, that it existed the new the new world because uh, previously the the secret had been guarded but if you um, now so so a, a lot in Templar lore is about Mary right yeah so it's interesting that one of the ships that uh, Columbus sailed was the Santa Maria the Holy Mary and, and and his ships are always depicted as having that white sail with the Templar cross on it and there's three of them. And, Right, there's three of them. Trinity. 
Sure, the Nina the Pinta and the Santa Maria. I'm not sure if there's other symbolism in the in yeah. the names of those, but uh, and for sure the corn would have a the corn is super impactful in America with Native Americans too. Okay, now we got a the tour guide is going to tell us something. The, uh, you guys saw that the Apprentice Pillar, right? Yeah. Speaking in the microphone. Okay, this is the this is the tour guide. We're not naming people's names. So, um, so. Yeah, I wanted to point out a few things uh, that kind of jumped out, right? He's talking about the apprentice pillar, which is the one with all the uh, spiraling and the dragons at the bottom. So, He's interrupting our podcast, but that's okay. Oh, you're doing a podcast right now? Not a live stream. This is a dead stream. Do you want me to like come back later? No. Or, uh, no. Keep talking. That's how we. Do, that's how we. Ro- this is how we roll on the Mind Virus show. Uh, all right. Go. Um, all right. So at the base of the pillar, right? You've got some watery serpents right so these are the waters eight of them eight Eight. i counted them yes exactly eight serpents um and so that that's a theme with the primordial waters that we've talked about a lot right um even in egypt they have a few different versions but one of them is is that serpent that comes out first irta is his name in in egyptian right the creator of the earth so did you ever watch the witcher series on netflix Oh, okay. okay, never mind then. Um, but anyway, so it's. I was, but anyway, I was struggling up there. Continue, please. To, yeah. This I is going to be a hard. This is going to be a way way harder. My thing, man. Um, no, no way. Nine he interrupted us. <laughs> so. All right. So, like in Egypt, it, it's hard to to articulate it, but it's almost like because uh, they existed even before this, right? But when he comes out. It's more like this is their first time uh, manifesting at this level of reality or this kind of physicality. It's that kind of a thing in, in, in Egypt. But, but anyway, so that's the, you've got these primordial serpents in the water, right? Each one of them has a part of the vine that's coming out. So two serpents, uh, a pair, a couple, make one of these vines that come up and there's four of these spiraling around the pillar. Right. And then uh, I'm not I mean, I didn't inspect this like super close, but to me, what I saw immediately was one vine was um, lilies, the fleur de lis and then or you know, lotus lilies, whatever. And then the other one was acanthus leaves. Um, those are the two that I saw. There may be more, but that's what I saw was lilies and acanthus. So again, it's the male and the female, right? Like lily. Acanthus. So, so lilies would be associated like with Mary Magdalene, for instance, um, the divine feminine in general, right? A goddess. The acanthus would be associated with Christ. Right? So, in fact, go, go ahead. ahead. Oh, I'll tell you. Go ahead. Let me let me take it away. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead. Great. Okay. So yeah, in the in the Greek New Testament, when it says they put the crown of thorns, Pilate puts the crown of thorns on his head, and it's actually the word is acanthus, which is a funny word because in the Strong's Concordance, which is the religious dictionary. You generally used associated with the Greek New Testament, it says that uh, acanthus is defined as a thorny plant, which is a good definition for it. But it also says, and I'm quoting, some are so bold as to read acanthus as acanthus, <laughs> which is the name of the plant. <laughs> and it's a, it's a plant with uh, green kind of thorny leaves and pink flowers. So he would have had, a instead of a crown of thorns, it would have been a kind of a leafy uh, victor's wreath with with pink flowers 
because it says acanthus very clearly in the text, but or you can translate that as a thorny crown. So, yeah, it is a symbol of Christ. And so then they're spiraling up this pillar, right? All of the greenery carving in the chapel goes back to this spot. So you can sit there and trace them back and they all come back to here, right? And then I was saying that up front and Caroline, who's been to Egypt with me, um, and not everybody who has, but in almost all the trips now, we do the uh, tomb of Sindafer, who's got the, uh, it's the couple. So I don't know if you remember, we go in the couple and there's, in fact, they even call it the, yeah. The, yeah, yeah. You remember that? So we go in there and it's covered with grapevines. And I was like, see if you can find the source. Where does this start from? And they all, it all goes back to a single point, right? Which is with that couple, right? Who are coming where? Into the presence of Osiris, the green man. He's got his green face and he's, they're coming right there. And then the leaves, it's echoed by the purifying water on the other side, right? When the priest is like washing them and preparing the sim priest. So you've got this arch of water. And over here, you've got the arch of the vineyard of, that's coming from the couple and over to Osiris, right? Who was represented by wine, by the way, also. But... Um, yeah, so there. I, I just wanted to throw. A I thought it was so cool the that pillars. the place was like a big greenhouse at one point, like that it had, yeah. Overgr yeah. had overgrown with the right. with all the vines and leaves and uh, yeah. plants and everything because it had been neglected, and so it be kind of became what it was carved. Right, right. So It'd be so hard awesome. to see where one begins yeah. and one ends. Almost. Yeah, that was yeah. that was really cool. And then stables. Too it, at seemed, one point. it seemed yeah. a lot like the Nauvoo Temple story too. Like you know, it gets oh. it's it, it's this charismatic. Uh, what would you call it? Like it would be. It seemed like it would have been an accepted building, right? Mm. And uh, a lot of um, en energy there, and, and a, an operating kind of an operating temple, so to speak. Oh yeah. A nexus point, and then uh, it becomes abandoned, and then it gets used as a stable, and then in the case of Roslyn, it got overgrown, and now it's a tourist attraction, just like the Nauvoo Temple. So, yeah. Kind of cool. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, refers talks about this corruptible crown. He talks about you've spent so much energy and work going for the corruptible crown and talks and it's actually an allusion to these games. Every four years were the Olympics, but every two years were these games that were similar. Like and it, it so all of the athletic nods that it makes in Corinthians there, talking about all of this work they're doing and fighting for you know these sports and running the race and and all of that stuff. The crown that is rewarded for all of this effort and everyone that would have been there in Corinth at the time would have already gone to these these games and been very familiar with this but they're made out of celery leaves he talks about the you know all all this work for this corruptible crown when the true vine right and so you I mean you can just see all of the symbolism there of how much effort and work we put into meaningless corruptible things and how it needs to come from the true vine, or it's, I mean, a celery leaves that would be the most corruptible yeah, right. thing. And it's the, it's like the ultimate crown of the day, you know? Yeah, cool. Yeah, and read John on the true vine if you have it. Yeah. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. There you go. Cool. really fun thing about European cities is there are a lot of street performers and there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in the streets. This was 
an audio scene from York in front of the York Minster Cathedral. Thank you. He's young. He's only a boy. You can't Cathedral is really amazing. For the sake of time, I've clipped some of this audio, but we stumbled into some really cool stuff. Now, this is recorded on a phone, and you're not really going to get the sense of it, but it was larger than life.
Well, this is going to be interesting. I've gotten some really cool audio clips here in the last couple of days, especially today here in York. That would be Old York, not New York. Old York. There's an amazing cathedral here called Yorkminster Cathedral. And um, I think I'll be playing or incorporating some of the sounds of that cathedral into this podcast. But it's not going to come close to sitting there in the cathedral with the resonant the resonant resonance that was some tour guide anyway yeah being in the cathedral with the uh, feeling the resonance and hearing the music was sort of existential Is that the right word? It's sort of surreal. I don't know. I call this next clip the black chicken discussion. It's bones. It's bones. Those things are awesome. They're so fascinating. It's like the opposite of albino. Like, that's crazy. I feel like the witch doctor would love that. You should look it up. Look up a black chicken. Like all black chicken. Something all black, super black. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, Maybe add the word farm. Thailand's not going to We're just I really, what's the search? I need to think this through. What's the Farm? Black farm? Hold on. I'll start with farm. Farm, chicken, September. Black skin. Skin? Black bones. Black bones. Everyone's called. Well, I don't know. Goth chickens are pure black. Black bones are the internal organs too. Did you see the mommy? They're so creepy. They're charcoal. Yeah. Can I you remember it? Once you see it, you're like, yeah, you don't forget. Let's see, let's see what came up. He's got to make sure to get rid of those other chickens. Or those other yeah. chickens. Wow. That's like what a, a badass chicken is. That's like Erica. Well, she has a chicken. I'm a chicken. I need that one. This is wisdom as a chicken. That's scary. That is awesome. It's almost blue because it's so black. You know what I mean? Like that iridescent. So it's bones and it's guts are black? That's what it says. Oh, yeah, see. That's how you tell when it's cooked. 
Yeah, that would be that would be very <laughs> well, difficult. Burned it. Maybe not it would be very difficult. So. You just have to go by timing. Oh, timing look, there's one that's open mouth. Yeah, let's throw it to one. I'm not going to find you. Where did you get out of this? I'm a farm person. Well, I'm not sure. Shut up, the eggs are black. Those are beautiful. It's got to grow a black. That's all right. Wow. I want to see the yolk. The yolk. That's what I want to see. Cracked Find out if the yolk. Yeah, there's got to be a picture of one cracked open. It's like black yolk and light gray and white goo. <laughs> yeah, I guess you can't call it an egg white, can you? Okay, wait, what did we say it was So it's Japanese? Look at that thing. A Polish something for Oh, I've seen close. They're ugly. No, this one shows them white. I think the black thing might be fake. Because there's a bunch of white ones hatched with normal yolks, but look at the chicks. Oh, okay. Check these chicks out. I dig black chicks. So they're not really white, they're more a tan, pink, pinkish tan. Well, we have. Yeah, but there's. Does it say it's that kind of chicken? Because I there's lots of like barred rocks and other black chicks. Yeah, there's lots of other black chickens. It says Ayan Samami. That's what they call it. How do you spell it? Let me see it. A Y A M Ayan Samami. Okay. Okay. Yeah, these are all showing white. You can buy the eggs. This clip is called. Loving argument. Shall I stay? Your accidents disappear. Well, here I am in Oxford, England. I'm standing in the square at the Bodleian Library, which is uh, pretty famous. At a minimum, a lot of this, uh, a lot of these structures have been used in movies like Harry Potter, uh, X-Men. I'm trying to remember which which some of the other movies that they mentioned. It's pretty cool architecture. It's too bad this is audio only. But uh, there are there are signs all over that say "Silence, please." This is a working library, and of course, as you can hear, everybody's talking. Now we're outside in the square. It's really interesting. Oh, uh, the, the library factors heavily into a recent series called A Discovery of Witches. 
which is, uh, uh, I guess maybe the girls would like it better. Would you call it a sappy love story? Anyway, it's highly symbolic. It's a witches versus vampires versus demons type of a story with a lot of alchemical symbolism in it. Very interesting. Another great show that I really liked that uh, was filmed in Oxford or is filmed in Oxford is uh, Endeavor, which I guess is a spinoff of a British detective show called Morse. And if I remember right, it's Inspector Morse, but his first name's Endeavor. So, but yeah, that's a good one. You're on the Western Library looking at a treasury museum. Okay. Do you want to go now? Well, I'm just waiting for my wife. Oh, that'd be a good idea. Yeah. Right. Um, I'll. There's a bunch of people in the gift good. shop. I'll, I'll drag them out and take them over. We are spending a lot of time in gift shops, you know. Well, no, you only get once. I've got to take you past the <coughs> cheapest sweatshop in, in Oxford, which I'm dreading. Which is what? Oh, I'll lose you. The We're going to get stuck uh, working in it? No, you're going to get stuck because you want to. Oh, we're you going to be stuck you want buying a for 12, 11 bucks rather than 30 like bucks. Like five, five t-shirts for 30 bucks? Exactly. Perfect. Right. Why didn't you tell us about this earlier? We no. could have got all of our souvenirs in one spot. You can, but I will wait for you. No, I mean, we didn't have to spend money in Edinburgh. Yeah, you're right. That little conversation there was courtesy of Colin, our tour guide, who's from Australia and then England. Did you go see the Weston Library? Yeah. What do you think of all this? In there? I think it's amazing. So we finally, we listened to the thing in there. Yeah? It said that often people would spend eight hours defending, for, at the Divinity School, like defending theological questions, questions like trying to prove with their professor, the of God. and then, yeah. like, yeah, can you prove the Prove the existence of God. Of God. Yeah. The existence yeah. of God in eight hours. Eight, like, that's where you have Some the history. one guy sit yes. on one seat the other guy on the other and then the guy on the throne is the examiner yes so the the, the yes. guy asking him pointed questions yes. exactly okay yes. i guess we're headed over there okay. yeah we'll okay you're on the podcast now keep talking so where, where are we headed to the rubbish to the rubbish um apparently that's garbage in in, in english in, uh, in english english yeah in oxford did you hear about the tim ballard Tell me about so Tim Ballard. I'm apparently, on, I'm Tim on the podcast. So apparently, Tim to, Ballard. Speaking to my lapel. <laughs> Tim Ballard. They said I haven't read the full story, but the church just condemned Tim Ballard. This is Operation morally unacceptable behavior. Tim, Tim uh, Operation Underground Railroad. Yeah, morally unacceptable behavior because what, he betrayed his relationship with a senior apostle, Elder Ballard. Oh, really? Because they're saying he used his connections with Ballard to get ahead or something. This is in the desert. News. But I haven't like followed the whole thing, but it's something we should look into. So it's hearsay. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Hearsay. <laughs> All right. Are they related? I assume. I don't They're think both so. Ballards, no. Well, not like directly. Okay. Hmm. Morally unacceptable behavior. This is the guy that rescues kids from sexual trafficking. 
sex trafficking. He's also going to maybe take Mitt Romney's spot. Or so he's going to run for the Senate? Or, yeah, since he's retiring, a.k.a. I'll never be elected in this state again. So people figured it out. Yeah. Anyway, huh. we'll have to look into that. Okay. All he's doing is getting drunk and smoking nefarious herbal substances, as was Clinton, but he didn't inhale, apparently. And all these people here, there's a big demonstration because, okay, Cecil Rhodes went to Rhodesia, got himself a country, he became a millionaire, which is about 100 million these days. By the time he was 18, he built railroads in Africa and Rhodesia, brought the money back here. All these Rhodes scholars benefited, as with many other people, from his money, and they think, well, hang on, hang on, he smells a bit of a racist. Right, we'll go to the college and pull his statue down. They thought, hang on, he's paying for us. Yeah, maybe next week we'll pull the statue down. So there's been a conflict of interest of Rhodes Scholars and him being a little bit of a racist in the early 1880s, how he treated Africans. So, so that's this is Cecil well, plus, Rhodes. Plus they put on... Yes, Cecil Rhodes. So plus they... Yeah, Plus Oriel the, College. Oriel College. Sorry? Plus all the Rhodes Scholars end up in like the Council on Foreign Relations and all the all the state departments of all the governments. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that it's like a it's like a breeding ground or a proving yes. ground for the, the state. Breeding ground for narcissism and arrogance. Yes. Let's go. Well and and control freaks. Exactly. There you go. Oriel College is where the Rhodes Scholars You get that? You heard that from our tour guide that we have we don't even know from Adam before this tour. And now for your listening pleasure, some noise. up in the town of Bath. There's a beautiful abbey there, Bath Abbey, and it's right next to some ancient Roman baths, which we were unable to see because there were too many tourists. Anyway, in this next clip, I got a little bit confused because I was put on the spot by this old man wanting to point out something interesting to me in the abbey, and I failed to inform him that the town was not called Bingham, but it was actually called Copperton. I should know that. Not from Utah, Pips. No, there's a probably several Binghamtons in the United States. Right. Um, where I live nearby is a place called Bingham Canyon. Right. And uh, they're 
there's a famous copper mine in Utah called Kennecott. It's now owned by Rio Tinto. But the uh, yeah, the town of Bingham is right there. I think he's just he was a friend of George Washington, apparently senator. This would be back east, definitely. Yeah, exactly. I think he made his money during the War of Independence, probably just prior to. But he's a nice memorial to him right at the end on the left. Okay. And uh, just to your right, if you look up, you'll see the Stars and Stripes, with, um, which was presented to Bath Abbey, I think, by the American Embassy after the Second World War as a token of friendship All right. between the two countries. So you, as you go down that way, you, you, you'll see it. Look up. The okay, I'll love to check that out. William Bingham. So. Okay, well, thank you so much. Yeah. This I'm in Bath Abbey, which is the abbey at the town in the town of Bath, and uh, was just approached by one of the curators or the directors here to let me know that there, since I'm an American, he heard some American twang that there is an exhibit down in one of the alcoves to William Bingham or Binghamton, who was an American, an associate of George Washington. Which is not why we came all the way here, but an interesting fact, factoid. We've been having a fun time on this trip. Um, I've lost my ticket. I don't think that'll matter because I'm already inside, but... But uh, I wanted to check out the name of this place. I'm pretty sure we're calling it Bath Abbey. The town of Bath is called Bath because there were Roman baths here. This is one of the few hot springs in Great Britain in... Uh, on the English island, and the Romans built baths here. So this is a beautiful cathedral, which you can't see because this is an audio podcast. More of the sights and sounds of Bath. Or rather, just the sounds. We got competing musicians here in Bath, right near the Abbey.
clip is titled Ordering Ice Cream. Raspberry sherbet. Cones. Okay, where are we? Wookie hole. Say it again. Wookie hole. Wookie hole. Dun da 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 Caves, Legends, Adventure. A magical and historical experience for explorers of all ages.
Well, we are about to attend a lecture by a bona fide um, expert in geometry. That's weird, isn't it? This is the end of the podcast. I'm going to leave you with the words with which we opened our geometry class and a little bit of the choir music. See you next time. May we be guided by truth, have beauty revealed to us, and may it result in the good. Right, let's draw.